Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm your host, Paul Oren, at NWI Oren on Twitter. And it's Arch Madness. The Missouri Valley Conference Tournament is coming up, and we're going to talk all about that a little bit later on. But right now, we've got a very special guest here on Union Street Hoops, joined by one of my favorite people in Northwest Indiana, great basketball coach, amazing historian, Joe Otis. Thank you, Joe, for or coach. Yeah. Thank you. I'll call you coach. Okay. Well, thanks, Paul, for that introduction. Okay. I don't know if I'm deserving of that, but um, thank you. Well, there's any, any number of accolades that we could that we could rattle off for you. Uh, but the one that really, I think, stands out to me the most as the VU guy is uh, the fact that you were a assistant at Valpo uh, back in the 1970s, and you were part of the first Division I basketball program. As we sit here today on the doorstep of Arch Madness and the Missouri Valley Conference, can you even imagine <laughs> that Valpo would be I mean, their games are televised night in and night out. You know, there. Can you even imagine that we got from where they were in 1977 to where we are today in 2019? Um, no, that. I mean, really, it's this is a quantum leap in the truest sense of the word, and um, it's. Um, um, I could give you a story to illustrate. You know, uh, back that first year, our entire recruiting budget was three thousand dollars, and I, I'm pretty sure that Scott Drew spent that much just to get to Russia or Croatia. <laughs> I think or Scott those. Drew sent, spent that much on stamps to send out his motivational uh, one-page documents he would send out yeah, night I in remember. and night out. Almost every day of the year, Scott Drew would send out these one-pagers. But we, after that first year, we needed immediate help. This would be the spring of 77. And Ken Rocklitz, the head coach who had been a junior college coach, sent me to the National Junior College Tournament in Hutchinson, Kansas. And I said, Ken, I know I fly into Wichita, but it's 70 miles to Hutchinson. Do I rent a car? And he said, no, you go to the baggage area and just look for someone who looks like a coach and ask him if he'll give you a ride. I said, seriously? He said, yeah. So I get there and I go to the baggage area and I see a guy and I know he's a coach. I'll, I walk up and introduce myself. I'm Joe Otis from Valparaiso. My head coach, Ken Rocklitz, told me I could just ask a coach for a ride to Hutchinson. And I bet you're going. And Ed Badger, the head coach of the Chicago Bulls, says, yeah, grab your bag. I'll take you. <laughs> now, do you think Phil Jackson would have given me a no, ride? No, no, no. And I, I got to spend – it was really cool. I got to spend an hour with Ed Badger. He had been a junior college coach, and he maintained his connections, and he just flew down for one day to go to some meetings and stuff, and we had a wonderful time. But, yeah, I don't I don't think you could pull that off. No, I don't think you can anymore either. I but mean, Ken I, was right. You know, I, I gained his, he, he gained my trust anyway with that prediction that, yeah, just go find someone that looks like a coach. And I slept on the floor of someone's room because we couldn't afford, you know, a motel room for me. But There is going to be a time and place where we sit down and we talk about a lot of these great stories because you are a treasure trove. You're, like me, you have a love of history. We, you've given me some old newspapers before, which I love to collect. I'm, uh, you know, So we've got a love of history. But today we're talking about Valparaiso men's basketball, the 2018-19 team. You are a coach, lifelong coach. You said you've been to some Valpo games this year, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring somebody in who is significantly, and it's not hard, but significantly smarter than I am in terms of looking at what's gone right and what's gone wrong with the Valpo basketball team, particularly this year. You know, the last couple of years, it's we're coming up on four years now since Valpo's won a conference tournament game. They they lost in a, a kind of an upset against Green Bay the first year in Detroit then a kind of terrible loss to Milwaukee when they lost Alec Peters late in the year. 
Last year they lose to Missouri State, and now they've got Indiana State. I mean, we're coming up on what could be a four-year run of not winning in the conference tournament. You've been to a couple games this year, and I guess, you know, not a referendum on the coaching staff or anything right now, but as you look at the team, what stands out to you? Um, you know, what's good, what's bad? This is a broad question. We can get into some specifics. Obviously, they're a terrible free-throw shooting team. You just were with Virgil Sweet not too long ago, yeah. you told yeah, me. Two weeks ago, I had breakfast with him in Florida. He's got to come back to teach these yeah. guys how to shoot and free throws. As I told Paul, uh, he was sore from playing tennis the night before for two hours, and Coach Sweet will be 92 in April. Unreal. So he's a you know, role model for those of us who are groaning about being 67 years old. You don't look a day over 45. So what stands out to you about this Valpo team? Maybe it's players, coaches. What, what, do, you, what do you see? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is just that lack of consistency. And, I, you know, um, I, and let's face it, you know, I'm, I'm sure Matt has his critics. Um, but, you know, first of all, he's having a better year than Bryce, and everybody still <laughs> thinks Bryce walks on water. Um, and um, he better next year if he wants to hang around Vanderbilt. But the, um, um, you know, I think it's really popular to criticize people. But when you look at the big picture, you know, Matt's been plagued by a lot of bad luck. You know, when Peters went down, you know, that first year and stuff. Um, and and you're not going to go out and get another Alec Peters right away. I mean, that that was one of the great catches of all time. And I think someone should be doing a documentary movie on how does a guy score 35 in an NBA game at the end of the season last year and end up playing overseas. You right. Know, you would think he would be worthy at least to be on somebody's roster. I can't say much about the Phoenix Suns, though, because they just beat the Milwaukee Bucks last night, my team. Yeah. They're the, they've got 15 wins this year, and two of them are against the Bucks, the best team in the NBA. It doesn't make any sense. Well, and sometimes some you know somebody has your number, but – I think the other thing was that th- this year, and I was at the game where Fazekas got injured um, under the basket, and I don't know if he landed awkwardly. It was a, it, it it wasn't a, a dirty play or where someone landed heavily on him. I think he just got turned around. I think he and, landed on Soroya. I think is what happened. Yeah, and and um, and he ends up you know uh, missing all this time, and we're not real consistent shooting it other than him and. Having him out of the lineup for four or five games, you know, that disrupts things and stuff. But, you know, I think from the very beginning, losing a close game to someone like the University of Indianapolis, these things affect your psyche. And when it happens once, you know, and if you go out and win four or five close games, then you can pretty much put that behind you. But when it continues to happen, that's, you know, there's that lack of confidence maybe in – what you're doing at the end of the game, and not so much your a lack of confidence in the in the coaching staff in yourself, you know, and you you have to believe uh, to get through those tense moments. And of course, um, I had one of the great clutch players of all time at Laporte High School, and here at Valpo U in Greg Tonigal, and you just had the feeling that somehow he was going to figure out a way to win. And uh, his older brother Ben, who is the principal at Laporte High School now. Uh, was the same kind of person, and and to have those kids in back-to-back classes, um, you know, along with Chris Buchek, who pitched in the majors for six or seven years, and Draben was another one. Yeah, who... and and Draben. In fact, Belmont recruited Draben because as a freshman, Greg, they in their very first year of Division One, Belmont had Valpo beat here, 
And Greg Tom had a 72-foot shot. shot to win the game. And I've always been a little disappointed in Greg, and I'm kind of conflicted about this because in the paper he's quoted as saying that God steered it in. He left out the part that the drill I had gotten from Dick Fick, who was an assistant coach here with me and went on and coached at Moorhead State and stuff, was the half-court shot at the end of practice. And it was this great morale booster because we'd run and then we'd have to run some more if nobody made the half-court shot. He did that almost every day after practice. He had a lot of training in that moment, and he didn't bring it up at that <laughs> critical juncture. But well, Rick, 20 years later, when justice. Rick, yeah, when Rick Bird was at our school recruiting Steve Draven, he said, after we got beat by that Tonigo kid, we said we need to get a kid from Laporte. And, uh, and then, of course, my son Nick followed Steve to – uh, Belmont and Steve's at Lipscomb as an assistant. They were in the big dance last year, and and uh, and, they, and they're heavily favored, I think, in their conference tournament this year. And then uh, Belmont ended up getting Valpo the year that Valpo set the school record at the time for wins, two thousand one, two thousand two. Second game of the season, Valpo coming off a kind of a close, tough loss against Purdue. They go down to Belmont and they lose. Uh, and and finally, Belmont had, had gotten them. And I know that was a big win. And I think Nick played really well in that game. And uh, well, he was and, a freshman. He played, but they they might have had a little help from the Laporte coach because I taped that game the night before. <laughs> and then I drove all night in the fog. It was really foggy uh, to get down there with that game tape, so they had time to review it um, and stuff. But yeah, that was a big win. For him. And, it, and of course, um, uh, you know, but I think what's happened now is you just have uh, you've you, you've had some horrible bad luck because uh, Fazekas is one of the best pure shooters we've had here. At and, then he, and then he gets a thumb injury. Yeah. Just, you know, he's he's going to he's coming back for the conference tournament and then a freak injury, thumb injury. Now, here's here's one of the things that a lot of people have got fatigue about it. Your coach, you've gone through, I'm sure, countless injuries before. Injuries affect the game, right? Bad luck, whatever that may be, affects the game. At what point are you allowed to say that it affects the game? And at what point are you? What point do you have to say? You know what? Let's just we gotta we gotta pick it up. Drake, you know, lost Nick Norton, their star, uh, you know, senior point guard. The conference opener tears his ACL. He's out for the year, and they have not, from my reckoning, said. We've got a lot of injuries. They've pushed forward. Yeah. They've just lost Merrillville kid, DJ Wilkins. It broke a bone in his ankle in the regular season finale. Now he's going to be out for the conference tournament. And, you know, so I, I think a lot of the grief that people are throwing toward the coaching staff here is maybe Lodic likes to lean too much on the injury thing. Yeah. I, you know, internally, what do you say to the team versus maybe externally, what do you say? How does that work? Well, I think, you know, you – you don't want to make um, uh, using injuries is is an excuse, and you just really don't want to do that. No coach wants to do that, but it's also a reality. And then the question is, who steps up? Sometimes there's that guy waiting in the wings who's just dying to get his chance, and he makes the absolute most of it. And then sometimes it's a guy that's making the most of it about half the time, and the other half he's not. And then you're you're trying to plug that gap maybe with a another person and it that's such a you know it's just kind of like cobbling something together and it doesn't it doesn't really work for people to be consistent they have to know the roles and they have to get consistent minutes you know um we've you know we're talking about my son nick played at belmont um 
He was a senior athlete of the year at Belmont University. He started three games in his whole career, and those were his junior year. He was the sixth man. He relished that role. You know, I, I had a kid that was our second-leading scorer at LaPorte, Keith Zilkowski, 15 points a game coming off the bench. And he said, I said, well, I think maybe I should put you in the starting lineup. And he said, no, I like coming off yeah. the bench. And he said, and plus, I'm either going against a guy who's tired or not nearly as good as I am. Yeah, you know, it's a good, good way to look at it. And there is, you know, sometimes there's, you know, those opportunities for kids coming off the bench to – make their mark because they're playing against someone who's not quite the defender and, and stuff. So One of the things that Lodic has said throughout the year has been we don't have starters. We Each week in practice, we're going to, you know, everything's up for grabs. I, I There's a part of me that loves that approach. There's a part of me that says if you're 27 games into the year and these guys haven't figured out their role yet, that's pr- a problem, right? Right. Well, I, you know, I've done it both ways. And I've done it where I went a whole year. I, I, I maybe only changed the lineup twice, and that was because of injuries, not because I was disappointed. And it wasn't like uh, we were undefeated. You know, we uh, might have been 14 and six, but that seemed to be our most dependable lineup. And a lot of times, um, it just it, it keeps this sense of order that you you pretty much need in any sport in terms of this uh, consistency of action and thought and things. And a lot of times changing the lineup can just blow up in your face. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Chemistry is everything. And at times our chemistry hasn't been very good. Now, um, yeah, coaches can do some things about chemistry, but they can't do everything about it. And then the one the, where the, the blame may lie is, well, you're going to need to recruit some more shooters or more shooters who are consistent scorers. But, you know, the game also requires you to have great athletes and finding those great athletes who can shoot it, you know, as well. You know, like Brandon Newman at Belpo High School, you know, you don't get many kids like that that, you know, have great range. And um, I'm amazed at his vision when he's coming up the floor. He throws a lot of floor-length passes right on the money to open teammates, and that's – that's not an easy skill to acquire. I mean, it, it's proof of his overall ability, and that's the reason Purdue signed him. Um, but, but I do think you know Schmitz has had some great games, and then he's had some games where um, he just wasn't very effective and things. And you know, it's a it's still a doggy dog world yeah. out there, and these conference tournaments. They do give you a chance at redemption, and every now and then, someone wakes up at that time and sneaks. he ha- he has had two good games against Indiana State. You know, granted the first game, the Sycamores ate Valpo alive in the paint. They scored like forty points in the paint. I think they just continually pounded the ball inside. But Smiths, to his part, has done well offensively. One of their top big guys on Indiana State, Bronson Kessinger, is an AAU teammate of Smiths. They know each other pretty well. Smiths knows how to kind of get the best of them there. And and truth be told, Soroya was probably not all the way healthy that first meeting at Indiana State. And then that second game at Indiana, or when Indiana State came to the arc, that was the game that Fizikas came back. When you get a guy back, how much are you kind of trying to learn on the fly again to reassimilate somebody into the lineup? I mean, that game was a little – I mean, Valpo should have won that game, and it goes to overtime, and Indiana State goes crazy in overtime, Tyreek Key with 32 points. But when you throw a guy back in the lineup, how much does that upset the apple cart a little bit? 
as people trying to find their roles again. Well, I think um, it, it really shouldn't, but sometimes it does. Yeah. You know, the, uh, people don't handle change well, and, and that's what I mean about sometimes even when I was really disappointed in the way we played, I didn't change the lineup, you know, and, and uh, um, I think that, um, you know, one of the uh, keys for us, I think, is just, you know, you um, Smiths and Soroya get in trouble when we're not shooting it well because they get double downed on and then they get stripped of the ball. And, you know, if you had shooters, and of course you have to have great passers out of the post to find those people. And sometimes those guys in the post aren't doing a great job of that, you know. Um, and and the other thing is on the defensive end, I, I think we still miss Fashil, you know. I mean, I hated watching him shoot free throws. I wanted <laughs> to cry most of the time. But – Boy, he in so many ways he was like Kareem, waiting back there. You know, I mean, if, if those guys could really gamble out top, because if someone tried to go all the way to the hoop, uh, uh-uh. uh, and he he was fantastic at waiting, and then blocking the shot, not committing too early and bumping somebody. You know, he did, that was by far his greatest skill, I think. Um, and uh, when you're that big, it's not that hard to dunk, you know, and which was you know kind of his thing, but. Um, but I think that's the other thing. We, we need a little more defensive presence out of our post guys. Well, I want to I switch positions for a second because you brought up Greg Tonegal earlier. You, now you talk about Vasheel's teams, and I think about Keith Carter, who was so strong at the top of the offense, top of the defense, really. The inconsistency, you know, from you've got a, a freshman point guard in Daniel Sackey, who, as fast as he may be, he's still a freshman. And he's clearly hitting some sort of wall at the moment. He's, you know, he's, he's playing less the last couple of games. He's turned the ball over a little bit more. You've got Deion Lavender is his first year in the program. He's a fifth-year grad transfer who's done well and is playing his best basketball of the year right now. And then you've got a third guy, Bakari Evelyn, who by all accounts was supposed to kind of be the guy this year. And whether it's the third ankle surgery that he went through, the fact that they kind of took the ball out of his hands a little bit at the beginning – there's been a great amount of inconsistency from the point guard spot. And from a mid-major perspective, it seems like, at least from Valpo, when they've had Tonegal, when they've had when they've had Keith Carter, when they've had the good point guards, that's kind of gotten the team going. What do you see from the number one spot, the floor general, or is there even a floor general out there for Valpo this year? Yeah, well, Saki's got to just do a better job of taking care of the ball. You, you know, And he's got one speed and it's like Mach two, you know, I mean, um, and that gets him in trouble. Um, Eric Bugs had the same problem. I felt that yeah. he was too fast for his own good, his freshman year. Then he figured out how to play the, within that speed and everyone else kind of acquiesced to what he was doing. Yeah. And, um, but I, I really think that, um, um, you know, and that these guys have to shoot the ball consistently. And I, I think, you know, like, uh, Tonegal, he was a great shooter, but he was really good at creating opportunities for other people. And he was especially good in a way. Greg was not physically that gifted, but in, he was like Dan Dockich in a way. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not the quickest guy in the world, but I can guard Michael Jordan, you know. Um, and I think Greg helped Steve Francis to 10 or something like that, you know, in the NCAA tournament. Um and 
you know, that's that just says something about if you've got really smart kids and they know their limitations and they also pay attention to those scouting reports that the uh, typically the assistant coaches go over them, you know, break everything down. And, you know, then you can get those few extra points. I mean, come on, we've had a lot of close games. We, uh, And it's not like we're sitting here talking despairingly. We, we, we have a few things that um, – moments where we woke up and played extremely well and maybe, um, you know, had a chance to develop some consistency. But I, I still think the losing Fazekas when we did kept us from maybe being in the middle of the pack, you know, or slightly ahead of that um, because his shooting was so important to our overall success. I mean, he, he stretches the defense. It gives those other guys who obviously drive something he's not very good at um, but when you've got a guy with that kind of range and that quick a release, you know, that the guy guarding him can't leave him alone, and then that creates more space for other people. Um, I just think it's it's been one of those years where um, not much has gone right for us, and I, I don't think it's all coaching. I just think it's there's this chemistry issue, and that that's going to have to be solved with some new blood that fills in those missing pieces in the big picture. And, and of course, maybe they misjudged what some people were going to be able to do. Um, and the only way you can find out is put them out there in action and see if they've got what it takes. And so we've, we've had kind of this, I don't want to call it revolving door lineup, but, you know, it's changed uh, periodically. And sometimes you wonder why, but I'm sure the coaches have reasons for changing things up but one of the things you said earlier was that when somebody goes out like a physicus you're waiting for that guy to step up and seize that role for my money i've not seen a guy do that i john kaiser might be the only guy who's who's said okay look i'm gonna take advantage of something but in a 10 player court john kaiser's probably the 10th most talented player out there what i mean but he also strikes me as a kind of guy that you like to have in your team. I guess what do you see from Kaiser, and is it four on five when he's on the floor? What I mean, what do you what do you see from him? Lunch well, pail kid, it seems. Well, like. I I love Kaiser. You know, if they ever make a gladiator version of a basketball game, he's got to be in it. Because I mean, you know, if I if I you know can't get to the hoop and score on you, I am going to physically outplay you by making it really hard for you to go anywhere you want to go because he's strong and he knows it. And uh, you've got to have a guy like that who's going to work someone um, over, you know, in terms of making him work physically for – it's the equivalent of body punching to the ribs in boxing. Over a period of time, you start to bruise, and it makes it harder to breathe, and then that makes it harder to react, and then pretty soon the fight's over, you know. Um, and this is why, you know, the game got physical as soon as Bobby Knight showed up. And you either deal with it, you know, and get players that can do that, or you become a lot more athletic than the other people are. And, you know, you're not going to be able to go out and get a whole bunch of those uh, great athletes like Newman. Not you know? not at Valparaiso University, no. right? I mean, I mean no. these guys are going. I mean, Brandon Newman looked like if he would have come to Valpo, he'd probably be starting from day one. He'd get every, you know, he'd, he'd probably have a lot of the offense tailored around him. And, uh, but again, these guys are going to bigger schools, right? Yeah. So, and, and, uh, and obviously, I think I saw Nebraska playing Clemson uh, earlier. 
Saw Dave Scarra, you know. Um, He'll be and, at Notre Dame tomorrow night on the thir- or Wednesday night, I believe. Yeah, and the announcers mentioned that both teams had four starters who were transfers. That was almost non-existent. We had some players, um, Jamie McCann, who came from Weber State, and Ken Pollitz came from Bowling Green, but we, we didn't have many transfers. Um, Bryce made a living off of transfers, and he did a really good job of – you know, after those kids sat out and stuff, getting the absolute most out of them. Um, and uh, and Aaron Gordon and Nick Robinson next year should be key contributors for Valpo, if not guys on the starting lineup. I yeah. imagine that we got Aaron Gordon, who's a, who's going to fill it up. He's going to score a lot of points next year, I'd imagine. And uh, Nick Robinson is probably, uh, you know, a version of Javon Freeman Liberty to an extent of just a good yeah. all-around basketball player what do you uh freeman liberty i mean you 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 talked you know we're we're not talking despairingly about a lot of things here there is some good stuff here that guy was just named as a freshman to the all defensive team now as you say transfers are kind of the way of the world you got to re-recruit your own guys all the time i mean i'm sure there's always a risk of if someone's really good at the mid-major level do they feel like i mean look at scara who went to clemson um and he wasn't even a star here yeah. But uh, but if Freeman Liberty comes back, which it all signs point that he will, how bright is his outlook and his future here? Well, I think there's a kid that's got a ton of talent, and some things he makes look really effortless, and then you're left to wonder, well, why aren't you doing that a lot more? You know, it's like he waits for things to the the moment to arrive when you can just see that he has it in himself to seize it defensively. I mean, he's, you know, picked off passes and gone down and either scored or dished to somebody. And those are game-changing moments because they give you momentum, you know, and that it's how you bunch baskets. And I think, you know, just as a high school coach, and of course I, I coached here, but your goal was never – to let people score on consecutive possessions, but especially not three times in a row against you, you know. And if you kept track of those and you disrupted someone and they didn't, they never got beyond scoring two times in a row or something, you generally won, you know. Um, and because you you feed off the energy that consecutive baskets and a steal and another steal, you know. And, of course, um, it's been a sad year for me because I'm, you know, I'm a Valpo U fan. I coached here. I'm a Northwestern fan. I yeah. played there. <laughs> That's tough. And I'm an IU fan. And, it, you know, it's a wonder I'm not on, you know. Uh, well, congrats on beating Wisconsin. That was yeah. a good one. Romeo yeah. Langford. Yeah. I don't know how Wisconsin said, oh, hey, let's let him go right. I mean, the guy doesn't go left. Push him left, and he goes right, and he scores the basket. Yeah, and so. two weekends ago, I went up with my former teammates, and we, we – it was our first trip to the new arena. It was, we And we got a tour that morning. Our, our teammate, Jeff Connie, has been the scorer, the official scorer, since we were sophomores in 1971. 47 wow. years keeping the book. And so he got us a tour, and we talked to Coach Collins and stuff. Um, but Northwestern played their tails off against Wisconsin that night and missed two one-and-ones in the last minute yeah. and a half. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, it's I mean, like it's uh, Valpo all over again. Yeah, and I, I think this is something we haven't even discussed, this um, 
you know, subpar uh, free throw shooting. Uh, that was being polite to the word subpar. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think we could find maybe four other wins if we'd have shot 80% a few times, which is not asking too much. I mean, I had a high school team that shot 81%. Um, so, you know, it's it's doable, um, but we're just not doing it. It's, uh, it is, you know, that's how you lose games. And, you know, again, in that Wisconsin IU game that we're talking about, Wisconsin missed, I think, six free throws in the second overtime. It's just, it, it, you know, th- there are some guys on Val, on, on the Wisconsin, like Ethan Happ, an amazing player. Everyone knows is a terrible free throw shooter. Shaquille O'Neal, everyone knows is a terrible free throw shooter. These Valpo guys are not deemed terrible free throw shooters. Smiths, it's like a journey into the unknown whenever he steps to the line because sometimes they're perfect. They don't even move the net. And other times, I mean, you, you cringe. I mean, Deion Lavender is another one who's airballed at least one free throw this year. Um, what? It's just, to me, there's a couple things that Valpo does that are maddening from from that perspective. Their, their free throw shooting is so terrible. They... They get the ball from the ref, and they just chuck it up immediately. They don't take a breath. They don't take a beat. They don't do anything. Saki's guilty of this. They come out of a timeout. Another thing that that I brought up, I think, last week or the week before on the podcast, and I've, I've brought it up routinely just sitting next to Robbie and, and the other guys, the amount of uh, bad passes that the players make to each other on the court, you know, you, you kind of want to hit a guy in his window to catch the ball right. and get a shot off. Is, is how key? I mean, when you watch Valpo play, is that a, is that a is that a chemistry thing? Is that just a, a mental issue of you know Saki does this a lot? He throws the ball to somebody else, and it's like he's hitting a gopher in the ground. Yeah. And I mean, how how key is that to just an efficient offense? Well, and come on, we saw Bryce play. I mean, he's one of the greatest pinpoint passers. You know, I mean, I think it's the reason that he played in the NBA was that he. He was really, really solid in all the most fundamental things, and who doesn't need that, you know? I'll say as good as Peters was, Carter and Nickerson and Adekoya and Williams, all these guys got the ball to Peters in his window where he got that shot up immediately. And the same thing with Brokoff. Bugs, Bogan, Boggs, they all knew how to pass him the ball. I don't see that with this team at all. Yeah, and and – and again, it's those puzzle pieces fitting together, and it, and they're not working the way they were supposed to, and I, and that means that you really need to get out there and, um, you know, find some players that mesh. Um, and I just say, I, I'll tell you the other thing, I, you know, if you if you would look at John Harrell's website, the Indiana High School Basketball website, we've had almost most of this century we've been able to coach our players in the summertime. And yet the combined scoring average of both teams has dropped from 122 to about 112 in the last 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why, you know, shouldn't you be shooting the ball better? And and look at some of the scores. Look at the Valpo's loss to Chester in 35-30. And... I, I, to me, it's this great mystery at a time when um, you, you have all the resources, not just in terms of the amount of time you can coach your players, but you have facility resources unprecedented, you know, compared to 1980 when I started at LaPorte or, you know, in the old days when we were in Hilltop Gym. Yeah. We had no conference, a raggedy old gym, you know, um, 
and very little to go on. Um, and I, you know, I think uh, uh, it takes a while to get things going. And on the other hand, Belmont in just 20 years has become a highly respected program. Rick Bird won his 800th game. You know, he's one of 12 active coaches that have done that. And just was named Ohio Valley Conference Coach of the Year again today, which is like they all just renamed the award after him, I think. And, and um, they built a 5,000-seat oval arena with all blue cushioned seats, which I think is amazing. Um, I, was, I was in it last summer, had a chance to go down there, and, and, it's, and it's beautiful. You know, but they've, they've become this consistent um, – power in the OVC, but they're not in first place right now, I don't think. I think they're in second. And Murray State's also got that kid who's going to be top five NBA draft pick, Ja Morant, this yeah. year. And yeah. that that will be a conference tournament to watch. I don't know what's going to happen in St. Louis with Arch Madness, but the uh, the OVC, I think, is getting underway pretty soon, too. And it happens this weekend in Nashville, or Evansville. I think it happens yeah. in Evansville, and that, that'll be a, a tournament. I want to ask you about another player here. Um, he's a DAC guy, and it's been a while, really, since Valpo has tapped into the DAC, but uh, Malik McMillan, a kid from Merrillville. And, and, God, I can't remember the last kid from Merrillville that came to Valpo. The, the Drew family was kind of never able to permeate that. Uh, I don't know if it was on, on VU's end of not going after them or on Merrillville's end of not being able to, to get the players in here, but Malik McMillan is a kid that I mean, I think it's got to be hard to play when you're. I mean, you know, maybe for Greg it was different and 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 all of that. But when you're when you're the local kid and you show up and you're not playing night in and night out. I mean, yeah. Greg got consistent playing time, started kind right. of right off the bat. But do you, what kind of uh, you, you think there's a challenge? I mean, when Nick went to Belmont, he didn't have to hear it from all of his high school buddies. You know, every night, how come you're not starting? Anything yeah. like that? Do you think there's anything? To that, and and also just maybe your whole thought on on Malik as a player and what you see from him out there. Well, I was really high on him because I you know I saw him play in high school at Maryville and I thought he had a big upside that he was going to get bigger, which he has, and stronger. Um, I've been disappointed in his shooting. Um, he hasn't been very consistent, and I thought he would be a better shooter, and he almost seemed to be a better shooter in high school. Not that he played outside much because that was a team loaded with perimeter quickness. Um, and I don't want to second-guess TJ, but I would have put Malik on the ball after every made basket and just denied everywhere because they had all, you know, they had the framework for being a really good pressing team. But And he could run the floor. Um, and so he hasn't quite panned out yet, but there's, you know, I think there's still – great potential uh, in him and he seems to be a hard worker I don't it's not lack of effort I don't see any bad attitude there I'm you know a lot of times a kid will get disappointed and I, if if you're a coach you can see the people that are having attitude problems there's there are telltale signs you know and uh, that you notice in the way that someone carries themselves or when they scrap for a loose ball on the floor you know, the guys who are still with you are always doing the things they're supposed to do. They may not be doing them well, but they're they're playing hard, like Kaiser. Yeah. I mean, you 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 know all the time that he's all in, and um, and he has his moments, you know, where he hits a shot here and there and stuff, and he gets some hustle baskets, or he gets that offensive rebound and kicks it back out, and we got another chance, you know, those second effort plays. We don't we don't seem to have enough of those either, just overall. But I. I, I still think Malik's got a lot of potential. 
I don't want to put you too much on the spot here, but we're, we're going to wind down Valpo and Indiana State Thursday night in the conference tournament. We Valpo's, we, we talk all we want about how they need better shooters. Well, they don't have them right now, right? They're just not there. Uh, and, and if the guys that are good shooters are not shooting the ball well, uh, they just went two of 22 against Bradley, I think, in the, uh, you know, the last, uh, last road game. You've got the need to get the ball inside to establish Smiths and Soroya. How do you attack Indiana State? They've got really good perimeter players and Jordan Barnes and Tyreek Key, and they've got some size down low. Offensively, what's what's the key to attack if you're on the sideline? Well, I think in our case where we're banged up and uh, and I don't – Fazekas won't play. He's got a broken thumb now, out for the year. Uh, again, that freak injury at Northern Iowa. I mean, he, it was heavily wrapped even today when we were at practice. Unless they're sandbagging, which I don't think they are, I would say that Fazekas is out for the year. Yeah. Um, and and then, of course, if that kind of injury, if you played him, there's a chance he could be really bad and just hurt you. And um, so that, I don't know that they'd risk that. But I I think the key is – that some people are going to have to step up early. And and since we've lost a certain amount of our depth, you, you really don't want to be in a foot race with those people um, because that, in the end, in the last five minutes, that's when they have the upper hand because they'll just have a little bit more energy. And But, again, I you know, we brought up that free throw thing. I don't think you can emphasize that enough. If yeah. somehow, you know, we could wake up and start making free throws um, – and it, the odd thing about that is there have been a half a dozen guys that have been lacked consistency. You know, I get it when Soroya bangs one off the, you know, from the line or Smiths. You know, the big guys aren't that uh, feathery of shooters, you know. But um, the rest of the crew, you know, has missed back-to-back free throws at critical times. And I think if you're a guard like Saki or Freeman Liberty who have the ability to drive the lane and draw body contact this is why Tyreek Key is as good as he is for Indiana State the guy averaged like six points a game last year this year he's 17 and a half and he is a guy that he knows how to get fouled and he's confident that you know what if I can't get to the rim and finish I'm going to go to the line and I'm going to finish yeah and that's a talent in itself yeah you don't find those guys you know they're not a dime a dozen and they have instincts and you know some of them are just great at drawing the foul and in some cases, like his, he's great at drawing the foul and then getting it up there on the iron and having it fall in. And the next thing you know, he's already got two points and he makes that free throw and it's three. And those the, those extra points here and there really do add up in a game. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I did this once when I was still the head boys coach at Valpo. And you went back over a 10-year period, maybe even a little longer than that, and about – Oh, I think it was nine out of the last 12 games that we were eliminated in in the state tournament were decided by like three points or less. One possession. Yeah. That is, you know, that that just means getting one more offensive rebound and kicking it out and somebody hits a three and maybe we win. Um, And I tried to stress to kids how important, you know, it was. And uh, I, I just think, you know, that's... The, the free throw thing, we if we get off and and make 75 or 80% of our free throws and do a good job defensively, then I think we're in the game, you know. But 
that's up to the players, I think. And I, I don't think anybody's packed it in. I mean, I have seen them recently, and you can tell when guys have said, well, you know, um, we gave it our best shot and we're not really going to go anywhere in the tournament because Loyola's going to win or whatever. I haven't, I haven't really seen that. I just, I've seen a lot of inconsistency, and I, I am sure that Matt Lodick is scratching his head trying to figure out, you know, how do I fix this? And it, some years it's really hard to fix. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll end with that. Any final thoughts on Lodick? And, you know, again, I, we've, we talked about this a little bit. He's been, you know, whether it was his first year with Atacoya being out for the bulk of the year, the second year it was Joe Burton took a high-risk academic kid. And, and Lodick has owned that. He has said, look, I knew the guy was a high-risk guy, and we had hoped that we'd put him in the right situation, and, and, and the kid just didn't want to go to class, right? Right. You know, Evansville just kicked a guy off their team, a grad transfer, Shea Feehan, who they did. Walter McCarty did everything he could, and the kid just didn't want to go to class. And, and I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but, you know, again, Joe Burton, that torpedoed that season, and he was still expected to be kind of the guy this year, and then the guy, Fazekas, gets hurt. Is there any thoughts kind of going forward? I mean, because you know there's a, a gathering storm of people. And, and, again, it's interesting as you're here. We've talked about Greg Tonegal. I know Greg very well as somebody who right. I went to school with. Was a, uh, I know him as a person. I know him as a basketball player. And, God, the guy would love it here. But that's not what we're talking about right yeah. now. We're talking about the guy that is here. And I guess just what, what do you see? Um, well, I – you know, I I really like Matt, and and obviously, you know, I campaigned because um, I contacted the people you would contact about Greg Tonegal, and I was deeply disappointed that Greg didn't get an interview. But if if they don't think um, that someone who's won three national championships at Indiana Wesleyan, and I know it's NAIA, but uh, he's done a great job of recruiting, um, and he would do a great job here. But I. I, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Matt. I mean, he really accomplished a lot in his playing career at Stanford and at Nutrier. And um, I'm sure, you know, he's worked his tail off trying to figure out ways to uh, get things going and stuff. He, he has had a certain amount of bad luck. Um, and, you know, I think you got to give someone a chance to get their own players. And, you know, I think he's just about there, but you, you do have an environment now. Uh, that game I was watching with Scarra, you know, they mentioned there were over 700 transfers in the last year, and this is this is almost like baseball teams trading players before yeah. the trading deadline. And some of these kids transferred because they had problems. Chris Collins has had he's got some shaky kids that came and went real quickly, uh, and uh, um, so you know, th- there's a fine art to getting people. Uh, that come and deliver and don't get in trouble and make you proud of them, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, Alec Peters. I mean, Vashield, didn't he have a master's Multiple degree? Multiple master's degrees, yeah, yes. You know, I mean, those kids, that's that's what it's all about. Um, and uh, so I, I really think that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that Matt wins two or three games here in the tournament or wins the whole thing and and uh, we surprise some people. I I thought when I saw them early in the year that they had all the makings of a great team. But I know better than to think that something you're doing in December is going to last, you know, through the end of the season. And the season is a grind now, especially with a conference tournament at the end. I mean, 
you know, we played fewer games in the old days and stuff. You had a little more recovery time. And if you had injuries, they were less damaging to you. And, uh, and of course, any kid who plays wants to get back in if he's been hurt. But sometimes, you know, and this is why trainers are really valuable. They take all that decision-making out of your hands and they tell you whether they can go or not. But but yeah, the physicus thing has been a huge blow, I think, um, to our program in terms of, you know, having success because he, he did bring what they said he would bring. He was going to be that great shooter and he showed us that a few times and, you know, and then all of a sudden he's on the sidelines for a half a dozen games and we're in trouble, you know. Valpo and Indiana State on Thursday night from Arch Madness. Uh, Coach Joe Otis, thank you so much for coming in. And, again, we're going to do this at some point where I just – we pick your brain. We want to talk about end-of-the-year games. Your first year as a grad assistant, you beat Butler in overtime in the final final game of the year. And uh, you know what? I think we could do an entire night on beating Butler stories because that's kind of, you know, what Valpo uh, loves yeah, to do. Yeah, well, there's a sad chapter. Ken Rocklitz with Des Leo with the flu, and I was the head coach for one game. That uh, – you know, at the NCAA Division One level, and we played Butler, and we got beat when Doug Mitchell, who's at North Central and has won multiple state championships, ended up at the free throw line. I think he was the second leading free throw shooter in the nation, and he was not the guy we fouled. It was the old <laughs> switcheroo. I still give Doug a hard time about that, and they ended up beating us um, by three, and we were down one at that point, um, but... That first year when you were a grad assistant, you played at Butler, double overtime loss, and then at home in an overtime win against Butler. And then yeah. I think Butler uh, went on a, a pretty uh, sizable win streak against Valpo over the next uh, next couple of years. A couple five-point losses in 76-77, a three-point loss in 77-78, a six-point loss. God, this is like this is brutal. Uh, we'll, we'll get you back in here after the season. During the summer, we'll talk some Valpo history. Looking forward to that. Valpo and Indiana State Thursday night. I'll be back tomorrow on Wednesday to break down Arch Madness to look at kind of what Valpo can do against Indiana State. And we'll talk about all the other games. DJ Wilkins at Merrillville is out. Drake, maybe Illinois State can go on a run here as a number seven seed. It hasn't happened ever in the Valley that a number seven or lower has gotten to the title game. Uh, We're going to look forward to all of that. So, Coach, thank you so much for coming in. And, everyone, thanks for listening. You can catch Union Street Hoops on NWI.com, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow.